Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Hey, let's jump into the last week of this series, okay? The first week I told you that this world is full of bad news and what the world needs now is good news. Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 what the good news is. He says these are the most important truths. He says the most important truths are Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised to life three days later. That's it. That's, that's the good news. That's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised to life three days later. And I told you this, if you can convince them, if you can convince the world that Christ died for them, that he was buried and he was raised back to life, then you can convince them of anything. So don't debate all the small stuff. That's what you want to spend your time talking about with a sinner. That's what you want to spend your time talking about with someone that does not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Then the second week, I told you that often in an attempt to share the good news of Jesus, we often point out the bad news first. And we'll point out somebody's faults in an effort to try and convict them, but our job is not to convict them. That is the Holy Spirit's job. We've got to know our role in this, and our role is to share the good news. Jesus shared good news with the woman at the well, and then he led her away from her mistakes by, by pointing out some of the changes that need to be made in her life. And I told you, good news isn't good news if it is overshadowed by the bad news. So don't forget, church, the gospel is good news. Say good news. There was a biker that was under heavy conviction and he knew he needed to make some changes in his life. So he decided that he was going to attend church one Sunday. And he had never been to church before. So he shows up to church, and uh, he had been drinking pretty heavily the night before. So he shows up to church, and, and he doesn't smell the best. His leather jacket is worn. His, his pants have holes in them. His hair is unkept. His beard is, is, is unkept. This guy looks rough. And even as he's walking into the church and trying to, to get to his, uh, a seat, to find a seat in the church, there's even some women in the church that they get their handkerchiefs out. And after he walks by them, just because of the smell, they would take their handkerchief out and just kind of fan the air. And so finally he finds a seat. When he does, when he sits down, people sitting on that pew, they move. They move to another area of the church because they don't want to be sitting next to him. The biker sat through the whole service, including a sermon that was on loving your neighbor. And so after the sermon, the biker was very encouraged and he thought, well, I'm gonna go shake the pastor's hand because that message spoke to me. And so he stands in line, he gets to the pastor and the pastor leans forward and, and whispers in his ear. He said, the next time you come to my church, I want you to pray and ask God what he would have you to wear first. The next Sunday, the, the biker shows back up, and he's still wearing his same worn-out jeans, the, the same worn-out jacket. His hair is unkept. His beard is unkept. He smells a little better this time because he didn't stay up all night drinking the night before. But he walks in. He walks to the same pew. He sits down there. People still scatter. No one wants to sit next to this guy. He enjoys the sermon once again, and he, he, he stands in line to talk to the pastor after church, and as, as he's approaching the pastor you can tell that the pastor wants to speak to him and the pastor takes him by the hand and pulls him aside and the pastor said i thought i told you 
that before you attend this church, you pray to God and ask God what he would have you wear. And the biker answered, I I did. God said he didn't know because he had never been here. It's easy to love someone that looks like you. It's easy to love someone that looks like you. I know this. Take my daughter, for instance. My daughter and I, at times, can disagree. Nothing major. Kendall and I have never had any major disagreements, but but we're a lot alike. She's hard-headed. I'm hard-headed. I don't need anything from you. She's hard-headed, I'm hard-headed. She thinks she's right most of the time. I know I'm right all the time. I don't know where she gets that from. But when you look at her, there is no denying that she belongs to me. She's just like a pretty version of me. But she looks like me. She is my daughter. And I love her no matter what she does and no matter what she does not do. And we may disagree sometimes, but I still, this week, I will drive 14 hours round trip to go pick her up for Thanksgiving because she doesn't like to drive through Atlanta. And so I will go pick her up in Cleveland, Tennessee, drive her here. We'll enjoy Thanksgiving. And sometime after church next Sunday, we will drive her back to Tennessee. Why will I do that? It's because no matter how many times we disagree, she's mine. And I love her. And it's easy to love someone that looks like you. Caleb doesn't look as much like me, so I don't love him as much. No, no, I'm just kidding. No, it is. It's easy to love someone who looks like you. When, they're, when they cut their hair like yours, it's, it's easy to find some common interest there. When they dress like you, when their skin color looks like yours. Some of you in the room, you've never had a black friend in your life. Not one that you'd really call a friend. Some of you, you've never had a white friend. Some of you have never had a Hispanic friend. Why? Because it's easy to love someone who looks like you. It's easy to love someone that agrees with you when they have the same religious beliefs and convictions that you do. It's easy to love them when they are part of the same political party that you are a part of. It's easy to love them. That's easy. It's social concurrence is what it is. It's it's easy. But loving people that you don't agree with, that's not natural. It's not easy. It just doesn't happen naturally. I don't naturally go out looking for people that are different than me. If I do, it has to be very intentional. And loving people that we don't agree with, it is not a natural reaction. So if it's not the the, the first step that you take, don't be concerned with that. That's not my concern because we're naturally attracted to people who are like us. But you see, loving people that we don't agree with, it is a supernatural reaction. Understand this, church. Your God is not natural. Your God is supernatural. He's beyond natural. And the love that he has put in our hearts 
is beyond natural. It is supernatural. And if you've truly got the love of God in your heart, then you will not be able to contain it. You will not want to keep it for yourself. You will want to share that good news with someone. And God's given you the ability through his power because that love is supernatural, beyond natural. Matthew chapter 22. If you will, let's go quickly to Matthew chapter 22. I want to read verses 34 through 39 this morning. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 39. If you do not have your Bible, it will be on the screen. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34 reads, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You've got to understand that these Pharisees, who are the church people, these Pharisees were simply trying to catch Jesus off guard. In the verses just prior to this, Jesus had been confronted by the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe that there was a day coming that the the dead would be resurrected. And so after Jesus wowed the crowd with his response to their questions, the Pharisees step in. And and this this is like trying to win a football game and you're playing the other team and the refs at the same time. It's hard to win, right? Because the refs are trying to set the rules. They're interpreting the rules, right? And so if they're against you, this is a hard game to win. And what they are doing is they are engaging Jesus in a theological debate. How many of you know that you don't want to debate theology with God? Amen? That's not a smart move. You don't debate theology with God because that would be like debating paleontology with Dr. Dr. Ross Geller, right? You just don't do that. Uh, That would be like debating physics with Dr. Sheldon Cooper, right? Or or coitus with Dr. Ruth. And if you don't understand what that is, Google that on your own time, okay? We're going to keep going. Some things you just don't debate with certain people. You've got to know better. And theology is not what you want to debate with God, but yet we try and engage daily in debate with God through our actions or our lack of actions. Jesus is about to mess them up. They're not ready to hear what he has to say. They are, 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 are there simply to, to trick him. They're, they're, they just want him to stumble in their answer because if he stumbles here, they can prove that he's not the son of God. But what he tells them It shuts their mouths once and for all because verse 46 says, from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So the answer he's about to give them is going to shut their mouths forever. So I think it's important for us to hear what he has to say. Understand that Jesus was not disregarding the law with his answer. The Jewish rabbis, they had created 613 commandments based on the Old Testament law. 
So they took the Old Testament law and they created 613 rules that you should not break. And the last thing that they need is one more rule to follow. And so Jesus didn't come to abolish the, the, the law. He made that very clear in Matthew 5 and 17 when he said this. He said, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He said, I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. He said, I've come to accomplish what they were trying to accomplish in you. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Trick question, okay? Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? <clears throat> oh, I don't know. I think I'll make up a new one. That's not what Jesus did. Matter of fact, he refers back to the law. He, he simply quotes one of the old commandments in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. He says, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus answered them by answering their question in a very direct, precise way with scripture that these Pharisees, these religious people, they were already familiar with. And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And he says, this is the great and the first commandment. So there it is. If you want to know what the greatest commandment in the kingdom of God is, it is to love God with every ounce of your being. Jesus said, you want to know what the greatest commandment is? You want to know what the number one on God's top 10 li list is? It's simply to, to love God with everything within you. Love God. And then Jesus continues with some unsolicited information. You ever received unsolicited information, anyone? Yeah, this happened this past week for my son. Caleb, Caleb takes care of his stuff. He doesn't like to lose anything. And he, a couple of years ago, he bought himself some, some nice in-ear Beats wireless headphones. And so this, this past week, um, he was in a rush. He was, he was packing up gear or something at the O'Connell Center. He, he works with the Gators uh, basketball team. And, and somehow he was in a rush, and, and he threw his headphones into his backpack, didn't put them back in the, the, the case that they, they came in. And he just kind of threw them into a, a slot there in his backpack. And, um, and for some reason, he put some coat hangers in there, put it in the back of his truck, and went about his business and, and later on, the backpack fell out and the hangers fell out at, at a restaurant where he and some of the other managers were at, and, and he didn't realize that he had lost his headphones. And so the next morning, he wakes up, and, and when this happens, this is bad because Caleb does not like losing things at all. And, and he wakes up. I had already left the, the house, and, um, and Mandy, Mandy knows. I mean, he's, he's mad at himself. He, he's upset. He goes, he looks through his truck, he looks all through his room, he can't find them, and he, he figures that they, they fell out in the parking lot at the restaurant. When the, when the clothes hangers fell out, they fell out. So he goes through the entire day knowing that he lost these expensive headphones that he paid good money for. 
I'm already looking, you know, I'm looking on Amazon. I'm trying to find a replacement because they've got this big tournament coming up this next week. They leave tomorrow and they're flying out for the Bahamas. And I know Caleb, I know, you know, and every player and every manager, they're all going to have their headphones in. And, you know, Caleb doesn't want to sit there and have his Apple headphones in his ear, you know, his little earbuds. He wants, he wants to look cool like everybody else. And so I'm already looking. Can I get them here by Monday if I order them? Can I get them here and... and so he comes home, and that night he's sitting at the table, and he's, he's doing his homework. And I walk over to him. I said, son, I know you don't want to hear what I'm about to say. You didn't ask for what I'm about to tell you. But I'm going to say it anyway. And I begin to tell him, son, with something that's that valuable, there's a reason it has a carrying case with it. You just don't slide, Dad, I know this. I've already... Son, son, I will feel better about myself if I tell you this right now, okay? You just, shh, you just listen. You just listen. I said, e even if they didn't fall out, a book or something could smash those headphones, and you don't want them to be damaged. And so you take the extra 10 seconds, son, and you put them in the carrying case, and, and, and therefore you don't lose them, and they don't get damaged, and, and you've got, Dad, I know this, son. I'm still talking. <laughs> and as I'm talking, and I'm giving him this unsolicited information, long story short, his mom comes and starts walking out with his truck keys. I'm going to look one more time. I don't have time to tell you all that. They found the headphones in his truck. That's a different story. I'll let Mandy tell that one one day. <laughs> but my point is, he didn't want to hear what I had to say, it was unsolicited information, but he needed to hear what I had to say. They didn't ask Jesus, what's the second greatest commandment? No, they said, what's the, the greatest commandment? Out of all the Old Testament, it's a trick question, Jesus. Out of all the Old Testament, what is the greatest commandment? He says the greatest commandment is to love God with every ounce of your being. Your heart, soul, your mind, everything. Love God. And let me tell you about the second greatest commandment. We didn't ask about that. No, I'm going to tell you anyway because you need to hear this. Matthew 22 and 39, and the second is like it, he said. He said, it's like the first one. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And see, they didn't want to hear this. This is not what they wanted to hear. And again, it's not a new commandment. Jesus is giving them the answer, but it's not the answer that they want. Le Leviticus 19, verses 16 through 18. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Listen to this closely. Somebody's, the Holy Spirit's convicting you right now. Listen. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. And I love how he says it. I am the Lord. He ends each little phrase here with, I am the Lord. In other, in other words, who's your daddy, okay? You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself, who's your debt. I am the Lord, is what he said, Okay? understanding this there's only one thing that's more important than loving people this is what jesus just told us 
There's only one thing that's more important than loving people. So understand where loving people is at on the list, okay? It's way up here. It's number two. And God's top ten is the second one. By the way, the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with man's relationship to God, love God. The last six deal with man's relationship to man, love people. He condenses them down to two. And he says, number one is love God. Number two is love people. Loving God, church, with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. And when you love God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind, you will never have a problem loving people. Man, I am praying God convicts us right now. I do. I do. Because there's moments when I forget this. When you love God with every ounce of your being, you don't have a problem loving people. But at the moment that that love begins to grow shallow in my life, that's when I start disliking people. If you love your political agenda, your religious legalism, and your stubborn mindset more than you love people, you will never be able to live out the greatest commandment. Told you, I'm just stomping feet today. And you don't get to choose who you love and who you don't love. You don't get to do that and fulfill the greatest commandment. You just don't get to. He said, number one is love God. Number two is love people. There was this man that was working on a crossword puzzle. And he asked the people in the room. He's just sitting there minding his own business. But he says out loud, he said, what is a four-letter word for a strong emotional reaction toward a difficult person? One man said, well, that's easy. That four-letter word is hate. To which another woman sitting across the room interrupted and said, no, the answer is love. How? What is a strong emotional reaction toward a difficult person? You see, everyone's working on the same crossword puzzle. How you answer that is up to you. Is it hate or is it love? The world is full of difficult people. In this room right now, there's difficult people. But how do you deal with difficult people? Is it love or is it hate? Hate has not worked. And our society right now is full of hate. And it's not working. Strife has proven to be ineffective. Adversarial comments, posts, and tweets have only fueled the fire. And you can keep playing that game that society has taught you if you want to. Or you can choose to take up the first and the second commandment. Love God and love people. And when you get that right, that's how you begin to change the society. That's how you begin to change the world. Because what the world needs now is love. The Beatles knew it when they wrote it. All you need is love. There you go. Yep. Dionne Warwick, she said it. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. John knew it, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. If you don't love, you don't know God, because God is love. Notice, love is not a word that's used to describe God. It's what He is. He is. 
God is love. Just as every individual person has a DNA makeup, God's DNA is love. It's what he's made of. It's, 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 it's God's grace. It's God's mercy. It's God's forgiveness. And all those things are summed up into one word, love. God is love. And, and here's the thing. We love it when we are on the receiving end of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. When we're the one that's getting his love, we love that. But why are some Christians so opposed to sharing God's love? What's wrong with us? Freely we have received, freely we should give. We are like a stingy kid. Oh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to say it. We're like a stingy fat kid with a bag full of candy. This love is for me and not you. You don't deserve it. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And we are so selfish. It's the first words that many kids speak for the first time. Mine, 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 mine. We want God's love. We want to hoard it up for ourselves, but we do not want to share it with anyone that's different than us. But don't forget what your life would look like without his love. Have you stopped to contemplate that lately? Have you stopped to think about what your life would be like without it? Romans 5 and 8 says, but God demonstrates his, his love, his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even before I had it right, because I did not have the ability to get it right, he loved me and died for me. And he demonstrates his love for us by dying for us. And so as a close, I, I want to challenge you with, with these thoughts. When someone is not in agreement with you, don't become angry. That's not the response. That's not the godly response. My life, was in disagreement with God. When I was dead in my sin, my life was in disagreement with God, yet he demonstrated his love for me and died for me. When your life was in disagreement with God, he decided to love you anyway. He has set the example for how we are to reach this world. And so if they don't agree with you, anger is not the right response. If they don't like your president, don't be angry. If they do like the president, don't be mad. If they don't like your political party, don't rant on social media like a madman. If they don't like your convictions, don't pitch a fit. And if they don't live their life by your standards, don't pout. Notice that during this serve month with so many projects that have been happening around us, I mean, wonderful things that we've been doing, just, just notice that we did not have a questionnaire for people to fill out. Never once did we ask anyone, what is your religious affiliation? Never once did we say, do you believe in God or, or are you an atheist? Never once did we say, what is your political affiliation? We didn't even ask them to choose how they identify. We just served them. Some of you, you're just not ready for this. But what the world needs now is love. And it's perfectly fine to be heartbroken for them. That's the response. It's okay to be concerned. But at the moment that that heartbreak or that concern comes out in a hateful way, you've lost it. You've lost the right to speak into their lives because they want nothing that you have. It's never okay to hate. Unless they're a Lakers fan, then hate away. But 
other than that, it's never okay. Even God loves LeBron, okay? And it, it takes LeBron and his mom. That's the only two people on the planet that can love him, okay? If you want to change the world, love. That's how we fix this thing. And if the worldwide church will never get this right, if we'll start loving, we'll see change. But pastor, how do you know this is going to work? See, some of you, you're not willing to try this. Give me proof. How do you know this is going to work? It's simple. I know this works. 1 Corinthians 13 and 8. Love never fails. Never. Never once has love ever lost. It always wins. Love never fails because God is love and God never fails. That's how I know this works. And what the world needs now is love. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.